0: For our last episode of 2018, we've brought out all the stops. We've unplugged all of our holes, and we will be saying really, really rude things. So this has been your obscenity warning. This is Mark Oppenheimer, host of Unorthodox, the podcast of 2018, according to the International Secretariat of Jewish Podcasts. Yes, they awarded us podcast of the year title. You can go find it online. Liel and Stephanie are not here with me today. They are off drinking their eggnog and singing carols somewhere in Israel, in Long Island. I have no idea. But I'm alone in the basement studio today. That doesn't mean we don't want all of you to have some unorthodox for this week off between Christmas and New Year's. Perhaps the children are home. Perhaps you have some time off from work. And we want to be here with you. We hang with some of you on the Facebook group. Some of you write to us at unorthodoxatabletmag.com. At but many, many thousands of you, our only communion with you is when we drop the weekly podcast. And, and, you know, we wanted to be there for you this week. As it happens, we have two interviews in the bank that we've been waiting to run that are so good. I, honestly, these two may be the two best of the year, and it just so happens they're coming at the very end of the year. Initially, I thought they had nothing in common. I thought they were just two good interviews that we were saving for whenever we had a free week. But then our editor, Sophia, pointed out to me that actually they do have something in common. They are both interviews with people who have beautiful traditions, religious traditions, and yet for various reasons have been pushed away from them. These are people who are in conflict with their traditions, who are trying to stay true to what they know and believe and love about God and tradition, but are having a hard time doing it for some reasons you're going to hear about. The first is our Jew of the Week, Leah Forster. Some of you might have remembered the news story about an ultra-Orthodox or formerly ultra-Orthodox lesbian comedian who lost a gig at a kosher restaurant when the rabbis who supervised the kosher certification said that they would yank the restaurant certification if she performed there i guess because of her loose morals or something. Now that's not really what kosher certification is about. Kosher has to do with, you know, how is your kitchen supervised and meat not mixing with milk and things like that. But they were using their power as kosher supervisors to dictate what they thought of as proper morals. Now Leia Forster is a fascinating person. She's a hilarious comic and she's not someone as you'll hear who's bitter towards ultra orthodoxy. She thinks it's a few Bad eggs, a few particularly nefarious types, and she's just a lovely and funny person. We hope to have her on in the future. Our Gentile of the Week is Jeff Hutchinson. Funny story about Jeff Jeff lives about a block and a half from me, and I didn't know who he was for the first year that he lived in my neighborhood. Then one day I'm hanging out at the coffee shop, and this guy starts talking to me. We just strike up a conversation. I think we were both procrastinating. Turns out he's a minister of the Presbyterian Church of America that's a church of conservative evangelical Presbyterians. There are other Presbyterian denominations, but this is a pretty conservative evangelical one. And he used to be a pastor down in North Carolina, but he got into trouble when he found out that some members of a nearby church were pushing a kind of white supremacism. Well, he called out the nearby church for it, and eventually some action was taken. But then people got mad at Jeff for having aired dirty laundry and raised a ruckus for kind of uh, not being a good Presbyterian and keeping his head down and keeping quiet. So he kind of got pushed out of North Carolina and ended up in Connecticut with me. So Jeff is also this remarkable guy who comes out of this really interesting, uh, very religious tradition and is is true to it and, and still loves it, but has had some real tensions with it. So have a listen to these two interviews. Tell me if you disagree that they are two of the best interviews we've done in 2018 And also listen for some commonalities, for ways in which maybe Leia and Jeff would actually have something to say to each other. Here's Leia Forster a couple weeks ago, mid-December, talking with me, Liel, and Stephanie at Argo Studios in New York. (laughs) ¶¶ we are
1: here with comedian Leah Forster. She was raised in the Hasidic community and performs all around New York City until recently when she ran into some trouble with religious authorities. Welcome, Leah.
2: Hey, what's up? Just small correction. I performed all over the world for the religious community. They flew me out to Israel, Australia, everywhere you could imagine. It's just our small little community, so...
0: You were on, like, the frum Oh,
2: Oh, God. Wow, that's good. I what mean, I, oh, like tongue and oh, cheek considering I like to I be like, on the teat. Which like, is great cuz I love
1: the teat. You so. love the teat, And you know there was that. the front
0: teeth. They just kept flying you places. So
1: so are you still on like are you still on that circuit? The, no. from teat? the no. front teeth. The front teeth. Have you
2: left? Have you weaned? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny cuz they like me. Like they show up in my inbox, you know, very subliminally, if you uh-huh, know what I'm saying. uh uh-huh, uh-huh. But no. I I I decided to step away from that.
0: Okay, so tell us about the, the recent The drums. Okay. I'll
2: sum of the drums. So I'll sum it up as short as possible. Basically I took a step back from all of it that I was doing in the religious community because someone outed me and as I, as as, as, a, as a teat lover. As a, I- <laughs> So, so, I, you know, and the truth is that I never confirmed it. I never denied it. I never addressed it. I just slowly slipped away out of respect for my community. Like, it's not something that I wanted to wave in everyone's faces.
0: That you're uh, a lesbian.
2: Well, yeah, you know.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm just getting out there for people who are like, missing I just, our two Yeah, jokes. no, I get yeah, it. Yeah. I get it.
2: But I just hate the word, I am this and I'm that. Like, it's so Jewy. Like, why do we have to be in a box? Like, I need to fit into something. I just am what I am. Whatever you say, I am. You know what I'm saying? We know. But now what they're saying you are is something that they are like going after, right? Right. So what happened? So I stepped away. I lived my life completely private. Never put my love life, my ideals, my views, never waved any flags, just did my own thing. And Instagram really is a great platform because I started putting up like jokes every day and just like my rants and my bitchiness. And all of a sudden, like I grew a following. Like people were messaging me and asking me to come do this and come do that as myself, which was so cool. And this is years later. Like I was like, all right, if I can come in pants, no problem. If I don't have to wear a wig, no problem. I'm there. And then a couple of people mess a couple, a lot of people messaged me saying, Why don't you do something local in Brooklyn? A lot of religious Jews don't feel comfortable going to a comedy club. So I was like, all right, I'll rent a place in Brooklyn and I'll just do my little thing in Brooklyn. I did it, I booked it, we're good. Two days later, and I put it on my Instagram. I'm private on purpose. A couple of days later, the restaurant owner texted me saying, I'm having a problem. What's the problem? You're the problem. And I said, tell me what it is. And he said, call me. The minute he said, call me, I knew there was a problem. And something inside of me was like, record this conversation. And I did. And actually in the conversation. What is this terrible thing that I'm doing?
0: They don't, they, well, they, they, he said, said that you're, you know, you're a lesbian and you represent that and we can't let this go on.
2: He said, well, they said that you're a lesbian and, you know, we're not comfortable with that. And I reiterated is this because I'm a lesbian? And he was like, yes. Like he said it outright. So I was like, oh boy. You know, I hung up the phone. I was really upset. I just vented to a few people. I guess I vented to the right people because they're like, Leah, this is legal. It's a legal case. Like it's action. I was like, no. you know what? I thought about it and I'm like, I'm not going to do this. This guy's a good guy. He apologized. He was like, I don't want to do this to you. It's not me. I'm being bullied by the rabbi. I don't know what to do. He called this rabbi and that rabbi. And again, I have texts and recordings of everything. I'm telling you, man, I should have been doubling as a spy. So at the what end What were the it,
1: rabbis saying to them?
2: The rabbis were saying that it's gonna cause a big hullabaloo in the community that an openly lesbian which by the way, that's the part that drove me crazy. How do you know I'm a lesbian? Have you been in my bedroom? I definitely don't walk on the street, you know what I mean, grabbing teeth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was so weird. Like what what do you you know, I was but I And they I,
0: said they were hit people from the kosher council they were going to hang.
2: They were going to yeah. hang him. Yeah. They,
0: and it was that some of the rabbis who who supervise kosher certification had said that he his restaurant his kitchen would lose their their kashrus if
2: correct you Which by the way they denied insane. afterwards. They said we never said that. Which I'm like, mm, well I got receipts, boo. You know. Yeah. So I let it go, and I didn't make an issue about it because I vented to one person who says, "Hey, my mom owns a restaurant in Brooklyn. She happens to be." really pro lgbt and she's an ally and she's like a really good person she's like i don't care you come and you hope you were doing it and slap my name on all the advertisements we want the promo you know i have in my community in the real world i don't have a lot of followers but in my community that's considered a lot of followers also you're in the daily news right now like
1: people are there's oh my stories God. about you it was a 24 hour
2: oh it's not over it's crazy in one day i had ten ten 10 wins cbs nbc I mean, like, TV cameras showed up at my house. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm not decent. (laughs) You know? Um, So So it was like a whirlwind.
0: Did you get the gig at this other restaurant then?
2: So she's like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, do it. So I'm like, all right. She gave me this confidence that like, it, she won't back down. And I have text saying, the rappers are going to come after you. She's like, we don't care. So I went out, and I did it bigger and better, and we sold out. We sold out. like We kept it small. We only wanted to sell like 65 But they were $50 a ticket and wow. $30 for food. So you're spending $80. Bucks. It's an investment. Exactly. So plus, you have to first click follow on Instagram. Then you have to click on Eventbrite. This is meant for people that actually are pro me. Yeah, who want to see That's you. That's all it is they made it into the issue that it was it could have been a stupid little sold out thing and i would have gotten no attention for it and i would have continued to struggle you know what i mean yeah right now i just booked uc berkeley like i'm doing um wait that's crazy oh you're
0: gonna be big on the campus it's uh Jew circuit oh yeah. my god you
2: have no idea this guy reached out to me he books campuses all over and now he's like i want you and i want i want you to reserve a month for me
0: so did the second show go off when you
2: so <laughs> two days later you know people are like we call them subtle butts. It's like very subtle, but... Oh, I like that. Know? I like that. Oh, it's like a judging butt. You never yeah. heard of a judging butt? No. It's like, I'm not judging butt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not judging butt. Did you see how Misha talks to her husband? <laughs> so, yeah, my mother-in-law was a judging butt. Every mother-in-law was a judging butt.
3: <laughs> so,
2: my mother-in-law and I did agree on one thing. I shouldn't have married my husband. <laughs> So long story short, she's like, we just want to, you know, have a conversation about a possible backup in case this doesn't work. I'm like, "Mm, what now? You committed to this, and you gave me the confidence, and I sold out. She's like, it's not us. One rabbi is threatening to walk away, and the other one is done. He walked out. Well, I think they had personal issues with him, so it was like the perfect excuse, but— um, and that guy capitalized on it because he went out and put out some big thing the next day. I no longer supervise orchidea to make himself look good, but I think it was internal. So this issues. is the kosher
0: certification of the second restaurant the second is restaurant. now getting threatened. If you per- and we should be clear that kosher like is about: do you have separate? Are you milk? Are you meat? Mm, like but is that's there rabbinic supervision? They're Seems saying that-, that if there's bad ethics going on in the place, that's part of kosher. That that's part of kosher. You know, wow. is I'm, that true. I've well, I'm not to one true. to
2: argue with that. You see, because right. originally when she empowered me, she was like, "It's only about the food. They show up. They give their kosher." and goodbye but the rabbis are saying that no there's more to kosher than just food it's the ambiance, it's the opinion and it's the whatever but then again everything in our religion is more than just black and white it's always the nuances and for that it's a joke in our community we say ask your local rabbi because one rabbi will say that and one rabbi will say that there's no for what's considered acceptable in one part is not okay
0: well, and the upside is like I've known very orthodox women who's who who ask their own rabbi, who says, "Yeah, you can use birth control now. Exactly. You have eight kids, you're overwhelmed." Like, and so it can be, it can be a, there can be a liberal side to that, which is your own rabbi can say. Be By the way, warm.
2: one of my closest friends and I stopped being friends because of that. This was back in the day when I went in the bungalow colony, which, by the way, is a lesbian girl's dream, because I'm not sure if you're familiar with what the bungalow colony is, but basically the husbands are away all week, and the wives are up there just alone with the kids.
0: Oh, the husbands go back to the city the for work. The husbands go back yeah. to on they only come up for the weekend, yeah. which
2: is where it all went down for me. <laughs> and when I say down, I mean down. Um, <laughs> but it was terrible, because the men are away, and you're just bonding with women, and you know, after hours, yeah. and you're lonely, and... It's you know. basically
1: cuz we've been watching and talking about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon, but you are having some like real life drama as a stand-up comic that is actually much more compelling, I think, than
0: than the plot of that show. Certainly more compelling than this season. Yeah. Oy. I said it. But a So did the second, uh, just to be so, clear. Okay.
2: So here's the thing. A text went around my community. The way it works is we have major WhatsApp chats. This is so ironic because they're all like, we're not into internet and we're not whatever, but they're the biggest WhatsApp chatters. We're talking about 250 people in a group. So you put it on one chat. It lands up in 20 chats in a minute. And this text was going around saying, call the restaurant and petition and say they have an openly lesbian comedian and this is horrible and how could they let this go in our own backyard and blah 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 this woman was getting phone calls from the moment her store opened till the moment the store closed and people who had booked events there for their private events were calling to threaten that they're going to cancel their events so not only was she losing business and she was losing the rabbis like for what for one little party you know So she had no choice. She had to shut me down. But again, we know the reason. It's the same reason the text that went around said specifically what the reason was. At that point, I went on my private Instagram and vented. I didn't come pointing fingers at anyone and say, how dare you do this? And I said, I'm upset. It's becoming increasingly difficult to take the hard road. Like, how could this be happening? It's one little event. Someone sent it to the news. The news called me and said, we're printing the story. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Like, let me at least tell it. Like, these people are good people. Like, they're not bad people. And I guess I gave my, you know, and at 12 o'clock at night he's like, by the way, it's gonna be on the cover tomorrow. (laughs) I was like, what? Plus I have a real job. Like I have a career, I run a business. People at my work have no idea even that I'm funny. You know, they think I'm just, like, a horrible boss. <laughs> you're a closeted <laughs> you know? funny person at work. <laughs> exactly. So th- that day when it came out, people were like, you're a comedian? What? <laughs> it, it, literally
4: mazel. Mazel. it literally is Maisel. literally is Maisel. And the b- people, by Actually the way— Actually Jewish.
2: Yeah, and, the, and the comedians out there are like, you have, like, a real job. Like, people take you seriously. <laughs> and you, like, do you do home health.
0: You do home health aides, right? Home care, yeah. Home care.
2: But I have, like, employees and a business and, like, a normal life, you know? So it was, like, a big shock. And I didn't think it would be what it was. I had done—the week before, I had done— who sold sold-out shows in Stands of New York, and Comedy Cellar. Comedy Cellar? I mean, every big comedian has been in Comedy Cellar. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but when I asked Modi, who I was working with, he's a comedian, where is Comedy Cellar so I can be there on time? He's like, <laughs> don't tell that to anybody. You look <laughs> like an idiot, you know? And I was like, why is it, like, a big thing? He's like, is it a big thing? Yes, yeah, schmuck, it's a
1: big thing. You know, I had no idea. So is, ha- is this how you envisioned, like, making the jump to Comedy Cellar? I I didn't have a vision you see I I'm
2: still like marveling at the fact that I can leave my house in pants I'm still marveling at the fact that I get to sit at a a podcast like a respectable right you guys are barely respectable Jewish (laughs) yeah but like a respectable podcast I'm still marveling at the fact that like I don't have to cover my hair that if I want a tattoo I can get one and you have I
1: have mucho
0: tattoos. Oh, do oh, you? Yeah. Uh,
1: so you're still. So you're basically. Well, here's my favorite one. Oh my god, that's a pizza tattoo. Oh yeah, it says rest in pizza. Hell that yeah, that is amazing. So I mean, you sort of do seem to be straddling both worlds, and the most interesting thing, I think, is that you're sort of you feel. Torn about the kind of publicity you're getting. Right? I
2: didn't want it. I was well. I would like publicity for yeah. being hysterical, but I'm not interested in pub. And that's why, by the way, i now I keep getting called to every podcast that exists in mankind. I did one, but after that, I was like, I'm done. I'm tired of talking about I was discriminated against, and wah wah wah. This is nothing new. This is how it is. Our ideals as as a very religious community is we don't accept gays. We just don't. It's and again. It's not everyone. It's ultra orthodox. Obviously, in the orthodox community there are many gays walking around. But in the ultra orthodox community it's a no. I know this. It's not it's not something new to me. So, I don't want to keep talking about how to discriminate against. We know how it works. We know the system. You either are part of it or you're not part of it. I want to be known as someone who is funny and contributes to the world and makes people laugh. And that's it. That's why I didn't want to keep Doing the same round of like and basically maligning, making Jews
1: sound bad, right? Right, because they're they, they really come not off badly in this that's story. That's the
2: thing. Like we all know a good Jew. You know, everybody. I mean, you guys have them on every week. Like you know, you all know the awesome Jews. It's not the Jews. Jews are awesome. The amount of rabbis that have reached out to me and invited me to come to their synagogue and to their—it's a small, select, ultra, ultra antiquated group of people that are very proud to stick to their traditions. And hey, I'm not knocking them. I'm not looking to be part of that.
0: And is that true? Even within what we think of as like the Black Hat Haredi community, are there lots and lots of people have been supportive even within that community? You know, that's a tough
2: one because they can't. They have too much to lose. They message me privately saying, we support you, we love you, but they can't say it because their kids can be kicked out of school, their children won't get the proper matches, their husbands will be mad at them.
1: Well, there's so much ac- holding people to account in these communities because everyone is so tied to each other. Conformity
0: is everything. We've gotten those emails from you people know. who say, like, I live in Borough Park. I listen to your podcast on the down low. I can't tell anyone I listen to it. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean,
2: your name is unorthodox. Right. That's so scandalous. <laughs> but we have you those know? listeners.
0: We have listeners in Lakewood, New Jersey. Like, we have those listeners, but they have to be very much on the – you know. Yeah. you know, not all. I mean, depends. But there's we we have found in terms of the listenership, there's gradations. Like, I think within those communities, there's some people who like we're kosher but enough. When
1: you see us like we before you came on, I said the word Hamish. You told me that was not a word. I mean, it is a word. It's just you sound
2: like a Harry. And anyone listening will know what that means. They'll laugh at you. What's well, a Harry? Yeah. Harry is like a super American Jew, you know, like a like a
0: like Harry H-A-R-R-Y like yeah just like a
2: Harry you know like an old fashioned Harry when you say it's Hamish or Holly Rolls or oh you know what a brach you know like gesund you know when you talk like that
0: you're not a real good <laughs> Hamish Jew wait I want to get this word right because we're going to use it a lot I have yeah. a feeling is a Harry someone who's trying to be down with like the the from Jews but is like doesn't have it
2: exactly like you almost got it you're like 98.9% oh
0: fuck we're probably the ultimate Harry you are systematic. Harry's our, our to podcast. the core like do you think we're Jewish Okay, so you your think knit sweaters
1: are hairy. You know knit. what I'm saying? No, <laughs> actually, can I show you my outfit? It's like very Yeshiva chic. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Okay, so but that's like, like
2: thrift shop Hamish. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. Uh, ortho chic. It's like Thramish. So she, when in like like that, right? You? No, hell's no. Nah. You She's can teach her, at it. It's open in the back. Nah. Her arms are
0: covered. No, 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 no.
2: No, you look too attractive. Sorry.
0: Thank you. Not when I'm grabbing
1: onto your teeter or anything. No, you know, maybe after. But so basically, like when you see Jews like us, are you still sort of conditioned to be like, oh, they're not really Jews? You're Jews. Of course you're Jews. You see, and
2: that's the misconception. Like the ultra-Orthodox will look at the rest of them and say, they're so guyish. You know what I mean? But come on, like when, I'm sorry I'm using this example, but like when Hitler came for people, he wasn't measuring the length of their skirt. That's what it always comes you know down to. I mean? It's when always ke- about Hitler. I know, by the way, that's, that's when I get heimish because that's how we were raised. Like, you think Hitler knew the difference? He came in and killed you all. We're very, we're very depressing people. Yeah. it's all about. But life. you're so
0: funny, right? And which which doesn't match with there, I was gonna say, so so my I'm thinking of some secular friends and relatives of mine who would say like, you know, there was a few stereotypes, and one of the stereotypes is, you know, I think of this one relative who who will walk through, you know, Williamsburg or Borough Park or whatever. And say they all look sad. They're they're all miserable. And I like, and I, and I always defend them. I'm like, no, they're not. There's joy in those houses. It is true that on the street, some of the men have a kind of glower of like they're not lucky, yucking it up on the street. Is that a thing or is that just pure like okay, well, Harry prejudice? Okay, if toward- we're gonna be Fairy.
2: Like, look, millennials are the most depressed group of people you've ever met. That's so let's true. let's be let's call a Spade a spade. College they just, students they just don't wear laugh more colorful all. clothes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so you know, the ultra orthodox are in and black. Sad. they have joy. You sit by a Shabbat table at an ultra Orthodox Shabbat table, there's ba 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 bum bum and they're singing for hours and they're joyous and they're dancing and they really also they're so um sheltered so they don't know any other joy besides their joy. And that's good enough for them. It's a beautiful thing. The way I look at it is ignorance is bliss. It's a beautiful thing. The problem is when someone like me doesn't want to be ignorant. I wanted to go out again in education. So when did you start performing in front of men? Mm, that's very recent. Very, very recent. Literally like a month ago. Wow. Not even. So, this, like
1: actually Comedy Cellar isn't the big deal for you. Like the big deal is a mixed audience.
2: I, I have to tell you, when I walked up on stage and I've performed for thousands of women at one time, I performed in Stanford Hill to sold out, and they paid me an insane amount of money. And I did it in Australia and in Israel. And 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 it was no big deal. I, I always laugh because you know how the ultra-religious Jews have the, you know, the the real turbans on the their the turbans. Head? Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. I performed in Union City, which is the most Ultra orthodox religious. To the I only spoke in Yiddish. When is that in,
0: I, is that in New York? It's in New York, okay. but it's
2: like a very segregated group of women. When I stood on stage and I looked down, I literally felt like I was performing to a cabbage patch because that's what it looked like. It was a bunch of purple <laughs> cabbage heads. Literally, I was like, "What is my life?" But they laugh.
0: They have joy. They in them. La- well,
2: I did the jokes that are appropriate for them, which I got tired of doing. So I did this huge like retiring show. I did it in the Millennium Theater in Brooklyn. I sold out twelve seats and that
0: was my goodbye to this. Wait, so I, not to put you on the spot here, right? But what's a joke that like works for from women? What's like from women material that we're not going to hear at a mixed show? Well, they show? love,
2: no, well, you'll hear everything at a mixed show, but they love anything to do with diets they love anything to do with their mother-in-laws, anything to do with money, anything to do with their husbands. You know, I said like the moment I, the moment I knew, you know how one says I'm never gonna turn into my mother, but then like the minute you look in the mirror, there she is staring right back at you. I think the moment was when my husband got up to go to the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning, and I was like, "Where are you going?" And he was like, to the fucking circus, where do you think I'm going? You know, that was the moment I knew I turned into my mother, like yenta.com, you know? And
1: so is a lot of your act based on your Orthodox upbringing and, and interactions in that world? It definitely depends on who I talk to.
2: You know, I cater the event to the audience. So I'm doing a birthday party tonight. I called up like 10 people and I prepared the greatest roast of all times, you know? So it depends on who I'm talking to. If you're Orthodox and you want me, I'll cater the event to you. And if you're not... I can use some of my risque material, so.
0: Like, what's some of your risque material?
2: Oh, you'll just have to come to my show. Follow me on Instagram and just follow my, uh, you know, my stories and where I'll be because I'm doing a lot. Leah Forster, L-E-A-H-F-O-R-S-T-E-R.
0: Leah Forster, comedian, Jewess. How do you feel about Jewess as a word?
2: I'm a very proud Jew, and that's the thing. I keep kosher. I keep Shabbat.
0: No, but Jewess.
2: Oh, Jewess. I'm cool with that. Call me whatever you want. Call me Jewelry. I don't care. No, keep continue that sentence. You keep kosher I keep kosher. I keep Shabbat. I fast on Yom Kippur. You know, I'm I, I'm a strongly connected Jew. And, you know, sometimes I'm better. Sometimes I'm worse. I see myself being better in the future. Better. It's all relative. But you know what I mean? Even more connected. But like, according to my community, I have a nerve. I have a nerve of even walking into Not everyone. Again, when I say community, I mean ultra-Orthodox. Like, the way they see it is if you're leaving, get out and slam the door. You know, which is ironic because they tell you, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Like, keep some. All right, I'm keeping some, but it's not good enough for you. You know, you want me to keep everything otherwise. And I keep what I can. You know,
1: and and I'm okay with that. Like God loves me. So that your next big drama is going to be when comedy seller wants to book you on a Friday night.
2: <laughs> right. That is I've gotten those offers and for now that's a no. You know, and I think that's going to stay a no. Like I think I think I'll get the right opportunities and Hopefully it will go my way. It's I, like
0: the Gamara says, there's no show so important on a Friday night that they can't book you on a Saturday exactly.
2: night. Exactly, And I also think there is, in life, there is sacrifices that we make for what's important. Like, I walked away from a booming comedy career. I made a shit ton of money. In, I the, put out, in the religious community? Yes, and I put out albums and I put out DVDs. And when I walked away, I was... Content with never making a joke in public again, because what was more important to me was my authenticity. So I was like, I gave up something I love for something I love even more, and that's okay. That's life. In relationships, we want to make our partner happy. Sometimes we don't. We're not happy, but it's for the sake of the relationship. I'm in a relationship with God. I'm a proud Jew. Sometimes there are things I won't be able to do, and that's okay.
0: Comedian, Jew, Brooklynite,
2: pizza lover,
0: pizza lover, teat lover. Will you come back sometime?
2: Hell yeah. Have me back anytime. Awesome. Just Sorry. not Friday night. It's <laughs> <laughs> not
0: Friday night. All right. Thanks Thank so Thank you, Leah. That was the great Leia Forrester in Argo Studios earlier in December.
1: Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streety.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y.
0: All right, back to Jeff Hutchinson, minister of the Presbyterian Church of America, New Haven resident, and a gentleman who spent some time with me at the Yale studios earlier this
3: fall. In the mid-90s, three families moved to the Asheville area. They moved to to Black Mountain, North Carolina, who had come from the Aryan Nations compound in Idaho. They were trying to leave their past reputation behind. And they had been connected with the Aryan Nations compound. They had been connected with the KKK. And they had moved to Black Mountain Trying to leave that stuff behind began to um, get involved in a small Presbyterian church called Friendship Presbyterian Church in Black Mountain. And as the minister there began to hear some stories about the past of these people, he would talk with them and they, they were able to persuade him that those things were no longer true about them, that, that racist past was no longer true. They were able to persuade him that they left all that behind. So I went to Asheville in 2000. So this is anyway, this is the background of who these folks were. They didn't want it coming out that this is who they were, that they were still operating in these dehumanizing ways of treating people, treating whole races of people. So now 2007, the pastor of their church, Craig Bulkley, began to be very concerned with the things that they were now saying, and they were getting emboldened and becoming more open, having established themselves in the church, having established themselves in leadership, not just in the church, but in our our presbytery, they're becoming more emboldened. So a presbytery is the collection of Presbyterian churches in a particular region. And our churches are led by pastors and elders. That's the leadership of the church. And he began to hear stories about how they were having the local Boy Scout troop take the American flag off their uniform and put a Confederate flag in its place, how they were teaching at their Monday night Bible study that was supposedly on Calvin's institutes that Adolf Hitler had planted and started more Protestant churches than anybody else at the time. And word gets back to Craig Boakley, the pastor, about this. And then a particular email chain developed where... These men were saying explicitly and in writing that black people as a race were mentally deficient, would never become the sort of people that could function in society and run complicated systems like electrical power grids. And they're writing these things in these email chains. So the pastor is very concerned, and he mentioned that at one of our local pastor meetings, sort of a an informal fellowship meeting. And I said to him, Oh, that's horrible, don't worry, we'll have your back. And as things became public with the presbytery and the presbytery began to take notice of what these men were doing, as it turned out, very few people had Craig Boakley's back. And instead, when the presbytery got involved, the, the presbytery said, here's, here's what's going on in this situation. Number one, the pastor is at fault for trying to embarrass these fellow leaders. The pastor needs to resign. Yes, that particular elder who wrote those things and who has said those things, particular things like that black people should, should be compared to horse manure, that elder, his way of holding his views was offensive. But the views themselves are protected by Christian liberty. So that elder needs to apologize for being too rude in the, ways, in the ways and manners in which he held his views. But we will officially determine as the Western Carolina Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America that Christian liberty protects his right to hold those views that where in the Bible does it say God did not create black people mentally inferior? Since the Bible doesn't say that God did not do that, we can't go beyond the Bible and declare his views to be wrong. So that was this moment in time that was a watershed moment where in my conscience, I couldn't remain in the Presbyterian Church in America if it was gonna hold on to that view So I had a lot of sleepless nights, about three weeks worth of sleepless nights working on a number of procedural complaints to use our appeals process and to take this all the way up to the national level of the church. And um, that was a three-year process because there was so much confusion and pride. it was it was um it was traumatic but i would do it all again I couldn't imagine uh, the plain way in which we were denigrating the very image and glory of God in African American people and really in in every race that wasn't the white race. I couldn't believe that we would allow that denigration of the very dignity of man, the humanity of man to go unchecked if we can't even agree on the, the fundamental dignity of man then why even bother being a church? Why even bother this playing at religion and playing at Christianity? If, if we're disagreeing about that people are created in the image of God, all people are, then I, I can't even go on in this movement. I'll have to find some other way of expressing my faith. So I had to use the appeals process. I, I think what I, what I began to encounter was, here's the issue. Has God created all of us in his image with dignity and glory, or has he created people in different gradations which again is what was being explicitly taught by these people they were teaching god has created different gradations of races and so here that's the fundamental question that was before me and but then it became this sort of house of mirrors it was it was i, I was discombobulated and and mm-hmm. And um, confused about how to move left or right or back or forward, because what I was encountering was it wasn't as simple as, okay, there's this small handful of people, and thankfully it was just a small handful that have this fundamentally godless view of humanity. <laughs> but I was realizing you know what it's that is it's, it's mo there's more going on than just those misguided. <laughs> screwed up people. I began to also encounter, there's this whole second type of person. I I sort of term them the the guardians of the galaxy, that these fellow pastors who thought, oh, there's bigger issues at play here than this one man's peculiar little views. The bigger issues at play here are what really matter. And the bigger issues at play were things like the reputation of our denomination, um, whether people whether if we ever talked about racism as a church, now people are distracted and they won't hear us talk about Jesus, and that the church should only talk about Jesus all the time, 24 seven, and talking about anything else fundamentally takes us off the gospel. So the second type of person was the sort of guardians of the galaxy, who's like, if you even try to make this an issue, you're the problem. And then there was a third type of person who was, the whole sort of moral equivalence person, the sort of what about person, which was say, well, right, uh, we don't like that that person is teaching those horrible things about black people, but listen, their pastor is the one that made this an issue. If their pastor just handled things in a gentlemanly way, the whole what about type people, the moral equivalence people. And then there was this fourth category of people, these people that were just distracted and uninformed and felt bothered and put upon. I wanted to see the Church of Jesus Christ declare these views to be godless and to be out of accord and for these people to be held accountable and we call it church discipline. So what happened was I kept losing those appeals on the local level, but I would take the appeals to the national level. And on the national level, the appeals were upheld. And so the national church set, spoke back to our local presbytery and says, you guys need to undo the damage you did. You declared that these guys, this guy's views were allowable. You have to withdraw that. So what happened then was that our local presbytery followed the instructions they were given I can't judge people's hearts, but it sure seemed to be a sort of sullen way of obedience and a disgruntled way of obedience. And so as soon as that smoke cleared and we had won the, the battles as it were, and in fact as a result, mm-hmm. the national denomination elected me to the mm-hmm. Supreme Court of the denomination I served on what's called the Standing Judicial Commission mm-hmm. flowing out of this. So now the smoke settled. But then as soon as the smoke settled, then the leadership of my church decided that I had been the problem and they demanded my resignation. So the exit was uh, November 30th, 2010, and we had planned to stay in Asheville the rest of our lives, Um, but, uh, but I was forced to resign instead. I just felt like God would give me all the power I needed to defend other people and defend principles. But I didn't want God to give me power to defend my own job. I I didn't want, there's a part in the scriptures that says, why not rather just be wronged? Instead of fighting all the time, why doesn't one person just agree to be wronged? And so I just decided, okay, I'll just agree to be wronged and I'll resign. The very next morning, I showed up at my local coffee house and the owner greeted me. And if they'd opened at 3 a.m., I would have been there. I waited and, you know, they opened at 6. So I was there that morning at 6. And somehow he'd heard. And his opening words to me, I was the only one in there, he said, I've got two things to tell you, Jeff. One, we're all so proud of you. Number two, see that space across the hall there in this building that we're renting out? That's yours. If you want to start a new church, you can have that space 24-7. And... But I wasn't in any pos- position to keep <laughs> going forward. Um, so i just I just laid low for a while, and I had to read, I, you know, I thought, what an interesting thing. Like I wonder if, you know, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court of our country ever considers like, maybe I want to leave America and not be an American citizen anymore. And here I was serving on the Supreme Court of my denomination. And I'm considering, maybe I don't even want to be a part of the PCA anymore. (laughs) And so for a while, I had to think through whether I wanted to even stay in the PCA. Um, And more fundamentally than that, I had to go back and reread like C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity to decide whether do I still believe that Christ and the Christian church are are this hope of the world. And so it was a time period where I was unsure of things. So the next summer, I had to go to our National Denominations meeting. I didn't really want to, but I had to because I was in the Supreme Court and it had these meetings, these concurrent meetings. And while I was there, the African-American pastors in the PCA, of which there are not very many, there were even fewer then, found out that I and Craig Boakley, the other pastor, were going to be there. And they spent a whole afternoon with the two of us. A whole afternoon hearing our story praying for us and at the end as they prayed and in the african american tradition when they say let's pray it means something different than (laughs) like a white person like me they had me kneel and they laid hands on me and they hugged me and they prayed with great passion for half an hour or so for craig and i and by the time that was over i really did feel like i was reordained and called back into the ministry So as soon as that happened, I lifted my head and I said, okay, what's next? And my first thought was I would like to plant a new church with an African-American pastor friend of mine. We could co-pastor a church. Um, But as it turned out, the better calling was for God to call him to pastor on Long Island and for me to pastor in West Hartford, Connecticut. I was unaware of the heritage of African American pastors in this country and in the Presbyterian Church specifically until um, some more recent research has revealed all that. And you know, we're all who we are. We're all finite, contingent, limited people with our own perspectives. But the goal, of course, is to somehow view God through as many sets of eyes as possible. Eyes of integrity, eyes of truth, and, and then you get a clearer picture of who God is. And so all of this changed my faith because I was slightly able to uh, to see God a little bit more clearly from other people's perspectives, my African American pastors, their, their experience in our denomination. I began to see what it's like to be a pastor in our denomination as a minority. And through that, to see God himself and you I mean, I could talk all day, but you, you see so many more themes of God dwelling near to um, the lowly when you're viewing God from a minority position. When you're viewing God from a white majority position, which is my American experience, my own personal American experience, you see themes of, of God, you know, helping those who help themselves and, and, you know, giving more power to the rich and going from strength to strength and, and you just see all sorts of different other richness of who the real God really is. So my faith has been changed and strengthened and I hope solidified through all this.
0: big thanks to Jeff Hutchinson and a Merry Christmas to him. I also want to say that that interview would have been engineered by Phil Carney, who's worked with me for so many years at the Yale Studios. But Phil died a few months back, pretty unexpectedly, or at least to me. I didn't know that he'd had heart troubles. And he was not an old guy. He was maybe late 60s, early 70s. And he was a force of nature, huge rock fan, old hippie, real radio guy, NPR lover, public radio nerd, Joe Frank listener, just just one of those crazy audio hippies who, uh, who makes the world a richer place. And I didn't know that he had died until uh, a month or two after it had happened. So I didn't have a chance to go to his funeral or say goodbye. But if there are any friends out there, Phil Carney, please know that your loss is mine as well. Those of you listening a couple weeks ago might remember the story I told about my daughter, Anna, who was walking with me outside looking at the Christmas displays in our neighbor's houses when she said that when she grows up, she'd like to marry a Christmas man, by which she meant, I think, a Christian. And she said to me that this would allow her to go to synagogue while her husband waited home to find out if Santa Claus was real. Well, we put it to you, our listeners, to come up with a song for... (laughs) Christmas man a new Christmas standard if you will and several of you took us up on the offer I'd like to play the best of these selections by far Susan Kane sent us a song called Christmas man here it is
4: let's tell the tale of Christmas man he's tall and fair of hair he'll put the tree up on our car while I'll just say a prayer that he knows how to do this stuff, cause I have no idea. Oh, tidings of Nachis and joy, Nachis and joy, oh, tidings of Nachis and joy. Ay, 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 ay. Lomir sing in a Yiddish lead. I'll still go to Marivan I'll bring all the kids to shul. I'm still a Jew, just like you. Our family will know that Jews are cool. We'll let the menorah and I'll tell them a Jewish spiel. Maccabees, latkes, please. I just need to know if Santa's real. Now let's get back to Christmas, man, who's hanging up our lights. Putting up the stockings with Yiddish names so bright. I'll hide the baby Jesus in the tzedakah box all night. Oh, tidings of naches and joy, naches and joy. Oh, tidings of naches and joy.
0: That was unorthodox listener Susan Kane with her original composition, Christmas Man. All right, I have two quick favors to ask of you, J. Crew. The first is that you give us some mail. We're all going to be snowed in or rained in over Christmas season, and we would like nothing more than to hear your thoughts. What have we done right? What can we do better? What was your favorite episode? What was your least favorite episode? What are you mad about? What are you excited about? Do you have any questions for us? Do you want some advice? Anything you have, shoot it at us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Give us something to get into our Slack channels and grumble about to each other. Or leave us a voicemail, 914-570-4869. We love hearing your mail read in your own sweet, sweet voices. The second favor I have to ask, I'm gonna ask it in 10 seconds. You have a few days left to make a charitable contribution. We are a charity, tabletmag.com slash donate. Give us the amount that you think we're worth. Anything from 18 cents to $18 million will be gratefully accepted. Thank you. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine, on the web at tabletmag.com. You can ask for our newsletter by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We often come to you live to book us or advertise with us. Email producer Josh Cross, Cross with a K, at tabletmag.com. Of course, you should wear and carry Unorthodox for all of our swag, a huge gallery of swag. Go to bit.ly slash unorthoshirt. That's bit.ly slash unorthoshirt. Follow us on Instagram at unorthodoxpodcast, on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross, Shira Telushkin, and Noah Levinson. Our editor is Sophia steinerd evoy Artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our editor at Tablet is Alana Newhouse. Our executive editor is Wayne Hoffman. Our special holiday break intern is Jillian Forstad. Our social media intern is Elazar Abrams. Our theme music is by Golem. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision by everyone in the Rabbinic school class at Hebrew College. We love you up in Boston. We come to you from Argo Studios, which harks when the herald angels sing alone, friends.